0: Welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger. On today's podcast, we're going to be discussing my time in Romania. But before we do, I want to let you know about an event that we have coming up on August 24th. It is a barbecue and coaching time where we're going to be talking on evangelism, specifically how to talk about Jesus. I'm going to be teaching along with a friend of mine named Bill Hogg, who's the National Director of Message Canada. Both Bill and myself have been engaged in evangelism across Canada for decades, and we want to share with you some of our wisdom, what we've learned to help you better engage family, friends, and coworkers with the gospel. This is going to be a practical time of teaching, group discussion, and time to ask all of your questions. Really hope that you can join us For that, the dinner starts at 6 p.m. There is a registration fee to cover the cost of food, but don't let that be a hindrance to you. Apologize Canada will pay for that if you can't afford it. We would love to see you out. Go to ApologizeCanada.com to register. We hope to see you there. Now, those of you that have been following us, you know that I recently got back from uh, a trip to Romania in which we had an incredible time of ministry and networking literally across the country. And we want to take a moment on today's podcast to talk a little bit about that trip, what we learned, and what are some things that we can uh uh, you know better understand about what's going on here in our in in, in Canada in the West uh, by understanding what's going on in Europe now. This was a a whirlwind trip. We left on June 23rd. As soon as my kids were out of school, our whole family uh, flew off to Romania. We started in Budapest, Hungary, and began to work our way across the country. Now, I should say we, we weren't alone. We actually went with another family, Benny and Diana. Benny is our board chair, and he and his wife are originally from Romania. And so they were, of course, our connection and helped to arrange the, that uh, ministry time. Although I got to give a shout out to Sebastian and Titus, and, and there were many others that helped to make this uh, such a fruitful time of ministry, including uh, the translation of my book, Thinking into Romanian, in which we gave over 400 copies of that book away. And that, that was incredible. It's so cool to be able to give people, you know, that, that, uh, that book in a language that, that they can understand, which has so much of my own story and a, an important apologetics content that we are just praying uh, encourages uh, people and encourages the church there. Now, if, if you've been following my, my, my life at all the last little while, it's been hectic. We were My family and I were on vacation in Nepal this year, and then we were off on uh, this uh, ministry trip to Romania. Please note that was not the case. That was not intended, I should say. This was what I called the perfect COVID traveling storm. The trip to Romania was supposed to happen over a year ago, but because of COVID, it, it got postponed. And so everything kind of began to overlap, and we just embraced it. But I gotta say, it is very encouraging to travel and do ministry with your family. I've had the opportunity to do this before, and we feel that it's worth it. I want you to know, Apologetics Canada doesn't pay for those sorts of things. It's not like my family's being paid for. We pay for that out of pocket, but we believe that it's worth it. And my kids had an incredible time there, and I know that Benny and his family did as well. It was worth worth the cost. Uh, And we, together as a family, uh, we had we had a van, and we we drove through the country uh, doing this ministry, in which I had the privilege of speaking at at four churches, two apologetics events, a young adults' event. Uh, TV show, a radio show. I even got interviewed by a newspaper in one town. And then we, uh, of course, were heading to Bucharest, where I had the privilege of giving a a presentation at the World Congress in philosophy of law. And And then we went all the way to the Ukrainian border. And there's just... There's just so much to reflect on, with regards to this trip. That, of course, today we're not going to be able to reflect on all of it. But I hope to be able to give you just a snippet of what's going on in the in the church in Romania, and uh, what we can what we can learn from, you know, what what's what's happening with with our our brothers and sisters in Christ in in Europe. Before we jump into the conversation, I do just want to say that. I love uh, Romania. It is a beautiful country with lovely, lovely people and wonderful food. In fact, the food is is too good and they have like multiple courses for any given meal. So it was funny, our first time we ate there, uh, we like filled up on soup and realized that was just like first course of of many others as we uh, enjoyed this meal and had a wonderful dessert. And my family and I were like, oh, my goodness, we're going to need to go on a diet when we get home. But it was it was so cool to see. The hospitality of the people there, and in fact, as we traveled through Romania, we stayed at many people's homes, uh, and and just were welcomed into to people's lives. And and I gotta say, that is one of my favorite parts of doing ministry abroad is is just to get to see and experience the culture and to be with the people, and and just so encouraged uh, by. Uh, what, what God is doing in Romania. But that all said, that's not to say that they don't have their challenges. And so one of the things that we'll get into in today's podcast is some of the challenges of what is going on there and what we can learn from that, because clearly the challenges in Romania aren't so different from the challenges that we experience here. So as we start this podcast, I think that we need to just begin by acknowledging Troy uh, man you look like a zombie dude what happened
1: <laughs> yes i I am extremely tired and I'm so glad that we don't share every single one of these videos on YouTube right now because I am I'm cooked man <laughs> 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 oh yeah. man like uh so so you uh, would you didn't get to sleep till 3 am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I didn't get home till 3 a.m. Sleep was more oh. like 3:30, 3:45. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was in Seattle last night for the Maverick City, um, Kirk Franklin, Jonathan McReynolds, and House Fires concert, and it was spectacular. Yeah, it was really, really good. It was really interesting because it's always a culmination of different demographics <laughs> of churches, but like every good event there was a gentleman right out front who was holding his tracks and was just condemning the church, passionately saying, Hey church, you got to wake up. And now this morning I receive it. I'm like, you're right, man. I do. But yesterday he was very passionately yelling at everybody. saying, church. You got to wake up. You just come here. Did you just come here to see a man sing? Did you just come here to see a woman sing or hear a band, all these sorts of things? Or did you come here for Jesus? And I went with some members um of my church, and it was interesting because i said to um to one of them, I was like, "You know what? if you're really listening, the things that this guy is saying aren't wrong necessarily um not even bad, but I can tell you right now this there there is no gentleness and respect in this at all, and so this is what happens for a lot of people is the 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 content isn't wrong, but the package." is so uh, divisive and separating. And it's really, really disappointing because I bet you if, even if I wanted to go up and try and have a conversation with him, he's so in in entrenched in his delivery that I bet you he would probably have waved me off and said, no, I'm busy. You know, because it's the type of person sometimes that they're so focused on their passion and their delivery and everything that they're trying to say that if there was someone, a non-believer who walked by... You know, maybe this person came to this concert because he's like, man, I I don't know who God is, but I'm really interested. I've heard the Maverick City music. I need to talk to someone. The first person he would have seen is a guy yelling at other believers at the front of the gates. And I think sometimes that's when we've just glazed over and we get stuck in our own agendas. It was really interesting seeing that because then I walked into this concert. And then you add that to people that question the Christian fandom the culture and everything but i just got to go on record and say maverick city did a phenomenal job kirk franklin did a phenomenal job all of them not letting it just be a concert
2: that's awesome i i feel a podcast coming on here maybe we should absolutely pick that up again because there's a whole lot that we can yes. unpack there yes that's awesome
1: but uh today we are talking about the church. We, we are talking about what God is doing, but we're actually going to zoom in a little bit and and uh, Andy's going to talk a little bit about his trip in Romania and what God is doing in the church in, in Europe. So Andy, why don't, you, why don't you take us away?
0: Yeah, thanks, Troy. And thanks for sharing your experience. I think there's a lot of us that have been watching as Maverick City has really grown in popularity and just seeing, uh, I, I think, just an incredible ministry that they're doing through music. What you're saying though I think so so important though, with this idea of you know the message and how the message is packaged, because clearly that's an important part of apologetics is that mm-hmm. we've been um given the task of of sharing our faith but and and the reason why we believe but doing it with gentleness and respect and that's that's a that's a key part right of how are we packaging uh our our love for jesus and and making sure that we're sharing that. Uh, correctly now. Now, this this is a challenging task for anyone who's ever uh, spoken in uh, another country, a different culture, a different language. Because as you're as you're speaking through a translator, you know you you are trying to communicate with your audience. You're trying to connect with them, but but it's it's difficult when you don't know where the landmines are in in the, do you know what i'm saying in in the yeah. culture cuz there there are yep. i am positive that there are things that you could say in Romania and, that would go over just fine but would not go here and i can tell you there are things right that go over just fine here and don't fly in in Romania so that's always that's always a challenge that you're you know that you're navigating whenever you're doing ministry in another language in another country Mm-hmm. It
2: must have really felt a lot like you were shooting in the dark, right? Because in a sense, right? Because you don't know where the landmines are. You just assume, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. If you don't know that this is not acceptable, say in Romania, then you're going to say whatever you're going to say that's not acceptable in Romania without knowing that it's not acceptable, right? And I I felt a lot of that, like just. I mean, I come from the East, but something similar, right? As, I'm, as I transitioned to the Canadian culture here, there were a lot of things that a lot of cultural blind spots that I just didn't know. And the only way for me to learn was by just trial and error. And and it must have really felt like shooting in the dark for you.
0: Well, do you know what it, <laughs> it, what it reminded me of is the importance of the work that we do? Because one of the things that we talk so much about is that... W- our desire is to, you know, help churches to understand the culture and to be able to to communicate clearly. and And when you're in a different culture, you realize how important it is not just to have the language component, but to have the cultural component if you're actually going to be able to communicate clearly with with your audience. So for an, for for context with regards to Romania, they are a country that was held within the grips of communism until the late 80s uh, and it led to a um a revolt that ultimately uh, w- was successful and the dictator at the time him and his wife were actually publicly executed as as romania came out of the you know out of the grips of this this strong totalitarian you know communism and so it's a, it's a unique country in that regard because I would argue that that communism stagnated the growth of of the country. They're they're behind the times if you will. But they're actually kind of this interesting mix where if you were to ask me, you know, in the timeline if you will, where is the church in Romania? I would say they're still in the the 80s. Uh really? in comparison to what what we would think about. So for example, if you were to ask me, you know, what kind of arguments were we having in the church in the 80s? I I would say that those arguments are what is happening in Romania currently. However, you've also got a society that's in the 21st century. And so there there is this unique cultural mix that happens in Romania that is quite unique and has interesting challenges that I'll mention in a moment.
1: I have a question then. As a proud '90s baby, um, what were you guys arguing <laughs> about in the '80s? <laughs> like, what was it? What was the, I'm really interested. Like, what was the church arguing about in the '80s? Because I know for me, growing up in the '90s, there was still some. It was arguments over technology. It was arguments over drums <laughs> um, and and pews and chairs. So I'm interested to know.
0: I know. So it's interesting to me because my wife has to inform me on some of these because uh, not having grown up in a Christian family and having been oh, introduced right. to church later, I I've got I've got I have more of a later view uh, of of the church. But you know, for example, you know you've got questions over drums in the church versus. You know, what kind of music is it just is it just hymns uh, in the church or do you sing modern modern songs as as an example Uh, where men and women sit in the church, uh, whether or not you need to wear a suit and tie to church, whether or not you need to wear a suit and tie to preach in church, whether or not you need to preach behind a pulpit in church, whether or not you can play cards as a christian because and i'm particularly talking about like a deck of cards uh now now there are some people listening to me right now where i'm like hitting i'm hitting a nerve like they're like oh man (laughs) like (laughs) like, i've just got to play solitaire for 30 years (laughs) (laughs) right you know because and because it was interesting nancy nancy and the boys we were all playing games one one evening uh while we were waiting for our food and one of the pastor's was just commenting, just saying, yeah, many people here won't play with those because that that scene is gambling within the church, right? Uh, Or it has a connection mm-hmm. to gambling. I mean, right. the, that's just a quick snapshot. I mean, there's so many more, but I know that I've hit a nerve with some people. They're like, oh man, that just took me back. <laughs> was Dan dancing on there, Andy? Oh yeah, of course, of course. But now there's some things though that they've bypassed. Now, like because back in, back in the day, you know, there was the debate over, should we be using an overhead projector versus, you know, a, mm. a projector, <laughs> a, like a, like a digital projector. And I was, and a, so, I was an operator. I was very <laughs> were good. you one of those operators? Oh, wait. Oh no, I got it backwards. Hands. Oh, I got it upside down. I got it upside down and backwards. <laughs> not <laughs> once. Nope. Not we got once. it right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was well-trained. <laughs>
0: Now what's happened? Now what's happened? Then, given this tension in Romania, in particular, and it was it was fascinating to me because you know here I am speaking on these apologetic topics, and you come to Q and A, and you're expecting these uh, normal apologetic questions, but in fact, often what would be asked of me, and I remember in particular, I was doing one radio show, and the host returned back to this question over and over again because I I wanted to. Avoid it, to be honest. But she wouldn't let me uh, avoid it, and 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 I noticed this was something that was just asked repeatedly, and that was given what's happening. Okay, where you've got a church that is, you know, decades behind versus a culture that's that's quite m- modern amongst the young people, and I'm talking about secular culture, right? Like you step out of a church and you're back in two, tw- you know, 2020. Two sort of idea, but you go into the church and you've just, you know, warped back to 1980 sort of thing. Well, as you can imagine, imagine that creates a lot of tension within the church amongst this young people, and one of the ways that that tension is working itself out is the young people are leaving the church, but they're not just leaving the church and giving up on the church. they're leaving the church and, and planting their own church. So we we actually saw this a number of times where you've got a church that had a, a split of young people and now they've got their own church and we actually saw construction happening of this church being built and they're like yeah this is one of those young young adult churches that that's flourishing sort of idea but you can imagine that there's animosity and there's frustration going on because the the old established church just lost all of its young people and this new church is, is thriving and growing, and so there's animosity over you've left us sort of thing, and, and we didn't work through this together, and you are flourishing without us, you know, so this division and intention that, man, I, I got dragged into multiple times. What do you think about really? this? What, you know, what would you say uh, to this sort of sort of thing? And you're like... <laughs> Wow, uh, that's
3: difficult to <laughs> speak do into. Don't do that to me. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting one. Uh, there's actually, I see that a lot, and it's certainly not to that degree, but I think we have a microcosm of that in the ethnic churches that I have the, like, connections with here in the greater Toronto area, because there, there are particular few congregations who uh, I have really good relationships with, where there's one uh, in particular, which is an Egyptian church, and they have the Egyptian uh, Arabic service upstairs in the main Mm -hmm. sanctuary, and then they have the English service at the exact same time in sort of—it's like a gymnasium area, but they—but it is exclusively a split of the parents and the Mm -hmm. children. And, you know, I've talked to them about that, and they they just kind of say, like, well, you know, the the parents are— are just going to have the service in Arabic anyways and uh, there are more of the parents than there are of the children but it, it really is that it's it's a almost a completely different church they have you know um oh the one i'm thinking of actually uh no no sorry another one actually has a different website for the Eng- english congregation almost as if it was a was a different church even though it's it's not that so is, yeah it, it, it's an interesting dynamic that that does create just to like Relate to a different demographic and a more conservative, conservative in the sense of like to conserve, you know, conserve uh, an older generational culture or uh, a language that's not the majority language or whatever. That I mean, we even see to a degree here, although obviously not
2: yeah.
3: like what well, you were I th- describing. I, Wes, honey. I think
0: that's a good point. And but I would say it's kind of unique in
3: the Canadian context because
0: the church must adapt or the church will die. And particularly, I'm thinking with regards to what you're saying, what happens if the church doesn't adapt is you've got young people that are being brought up in an English speaking nation. They learn English, some of them are not learning their native tongue, right right, or the tongue of their parents sort of idea, and now soon there's a communication gap that takes place, if not with the first you know with the second or the third generation. That gap will take place, and now you have to have two services and you know one in you know mm-hmm. Arabic one in English and i've seen this where you have to have you know a service in german and you have to have a service in english particularly in the abbotsford context with regards to uh, mennonites that tend to tend to have uh german as their is their native tongue and and this this becomes really really challenging then because you know that older group that's speaking you know arabic or german or whatever they they're going to start dying off and if they aren't investing into the younger generation that church will become you know irrelevant eventually cuz it's it's interesting particularly what i've seen in abbotsford is for a while as long as you've got immigrants that are coming in they're speaking that tongue that church can survive without adapting but as soon as that influx stops that mm-hmm. church has to adapt or or else it's in big trouble. And I'm sure you guys have seen the same.
2: Yeah, it, that seems to be a tension wherever there is any sort of cultural tension, any sort of change transition that happens. So the thing that um, Wes mentioned is more of like the immigrant culture. I mean, you see that even outside of the church context, right? I went through that because while my parents, they immigrated, I came with them. You know, I am adapting to the Canadian culture and they were way slower to do that. And there's going to be tension because when you learn a different language, you don't just learn a different language. The language often reflects and comes with a lot of the cultural ideas. And that's why, for example, a lot of like the younger generation here in Canada that are learning English that come from, say, you know, Arabic speaking families. Often there is like even in Muslim families, right? There is this tension because, uh, the the younger generation they're buying into, for example, or they're imbibing some of the more like critical theories, kind of a thing that comes with the language that they're learning, because they start learning terms like white privilege or, you know, those kinds of things, and so and and those are not the kinds of things that you would have really. It's it's not really a thing in most Arabic speaking countries. Right. And so this seems to be, and then you kind of see that play out in a church context, and now mm-hmm. you have this split and and it's really too bad because on the one hand, yeah, there, there is something to be said about you learning from the traditions, your, your heritage and those kinds of things. But on the other hand, people who want to conserve those things can be sometimes not too flexible with, you know, they, they are not realistic about the context, the bigger cultural context that they find themselves in. So it's, it's both ways,
1: really. That's such a good point, Steve, because it's almost like the, the church today needs to almost have a middle child approach to, our, to building our churches. Like the one that says, for example, man, there's a lot of, like the hymns are still powerful. Because, But to really understand the power of those hymns, you have to understand and be willing to go look up the historical context of when they were written. You know, you think about even some of the, you know, the old Negro spirituals, you're talking about people that were slaves, but they're speaking about the faith and goodness of God, what that does for a young person who's not never had to go through that if you're willing to give them a context, and then vice versa— the I would I would say that the young church today or whatever people want to say, uh, I would say the popular church has a way uh, is naturally going to have a greater connection to the the social narrative of the day. But it's got to be important that that is led through some people that have been through some stuff because that social narrative was once their social narrative in a different way. It, you may think that this is going to be like this forever or it's the the be all and end all but i promise you as you grow up you're going to realize that okay we we can't swing the pendulum entirely that way we actually got to sit a little bit in the middle of 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 church history from decade to decade otherwise yeah we're going to get stuck trying to chase the next wave of popular church i, I think that's what happened with like the seeker friendly movement that was that has been really really heavily pressed in our churches but you you got to find this this middle ground, and I believe it's possible. But we ha- we need that age diversity.
2: Yeah, um, that's I, I really seriously resonate with that. Um, now, coming back to the Romanian Church, I'm just curious, Andy, when you were asked that question on the radio show, what was your response
1: to that? On the radio show.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and and I got asked it pretty much in every context that I was in, but that lady in particular was. Uh, not gonna let it go because like I said I tried to get out of it because because in many ways I, I I'm not coming to a country as though I've got all the answers to all of their their issues right I think you got to come in with some humility saying those are really complex issues that quite honestly I don't I don't I'm just hearing about it for the first time I, I'm not I haven't I haven't been a part of your culture your you know your churches I, I how, how do I have an answer you know in into that? But, after I was pressed uh, a couple of times i i I said, "Well, first of all, let me just start by saying that I'm glad that these young people aren't leaving the church uh I'm at least glad that they've gone to start a different church so th- there's a part of me that is at least thankful they haven't given up on church right and i'm and I'm mm-hmm. sure they they don't want to hear that though <laughs> mm-hmm. right because because that's ironic to me in a lot of ways that that some people they would prefer almost their their young people to leave the church entirely than to go start a new one and to see it be successful. And I think it really speaks to just the brokenness uh, of our humanity and that and just even the brokenness you can see with within the church. I mean, because I I think that that there's that seed of division already there that say that says, and and this is you know gently that what I was saying according to what I was seeing, I was trying to be very cautious here, right? Because uh, I, I, I'm I, new to their culture. I'm just speaking from what I've just recently seen. But it is something I see here as well. And that is, you, will, you have oftentimes, particularly when you buy into a celebrity culture, and I'd say Romania has got its own form of that, uh, which mm. I'll mention in just a moment. But the, those that are in leadership don't want to give up that leadership. They don't want to train up and pass on that mantle to the next generation. They want to hold on to it because they like that influence. They like that popularity how, in, in its various forms. There's again, it's our brokenness coming through where you've yeah. got to humble yourself and say, no, 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 I need to be, I need to be attentive to the culture of the next generation. And I need to be training them up and letting them loose. And if you don't, they're going to head off and, and,
3: and grab that leadership and move forward. I think this, like, speaks to our natural inclination for factualization, like like g- grouping up into factions and kind of uh, ascribing to a particular faction. And this is actually, I mean, I'm a big believer in different denominations within sort of the universal, you know, big C church within Christianity for that reason is I think You know, we don't all look the same and we don't all think the same. We don't all act the same. I mean, even just looking at the Zoom screen, right? None of us necessarily look the same. Um, Even Andy and I, who are the most similar in the group, uh, one of us has hair and the other doesn't. (laughs) So you can figure out who's who. Uh, I won't for the listeners. I won't say who has hair and who doesn't, but uh, maybe you you can figure that out. uh, out. (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) And so for that reason, I think it's good that, you know, we have different churches that have different expressions within their faith traditions. And one of the things that really influenced me early on, I, was a pa- I grew up a pastor's kid, and there was a particular p- family who was coming to our church, and it was clear that they weren't really, uh, like, the church wasn't right for them. Our church wasn't right for them. So my dad ended up recommending that they go to, I think it was the Presbyterian Church. And there were a couple congregants in our, you know, local Baptist church that my dad pastored in, who were like, why, why did you tell him to go to another church? My my dad was just like, you know, I'm interested in making Christians. I'm not necessarily interested in making mm-hmm. Baptists. So now you're back, Andy. You're back in Canada. You've had some time to mull it over. Now, what are the answers to all those <laughs> questions? Well,
0: you know, one thing I think is important for us to all appreciate is that we've all got church problems right the The reality is, as soon as you put a bunch of people together, you're going to have problems, no matter what like it's called it's called sin, it's called evil, it's called brokenness. and so I think that's important though, for us to appreciate to to imagine that just because you're a church, you're not going to have issues oh. and you're not going to have to work through disagreements and frustrations is is just silliness, of course you are, but that that means then that you've always got to check yourself though because it's a constant process of humility, saying I might I could be wrong here, and I probably mm-hmm. am wrong in some place. I gotta I gotta think about where it is. Where Where am I? You know, missing the mark here. Now, this this is interesting though from a Romanian context, and and again, I I don't want to come across as though I'm picking on Romania because I, I for all of our Romanian followers and anybody who's been to Romania, I love Romania. By the way, I, I think I should mention that uh, Transylvania is actually a mm. place. I thought that was just part of Dracula mythology <laughs> or something, but I can—I know I can see it in Troy's eyes right now. No, Transylvania exists, and it's absolutely a, a gorgeous part of the country. Here's something that I thought was really fascinating. So as a part of doing all these speaking engagements, I also met with a lot of leaders, and I remember one day I was meeting with a professor, and he brought his son to the meeting, and and his son was <laughs> was excited to meet me, and and he's because he likes apologetics, and he'd heard me speak the night before. And his son said, "Hey, I, you know, I really appreciated what you had to say." And I thought, "Oh, thanks, man." He goes, "He goes, but I really liked one thing in particular you said." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, great!" I go, "You know what 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 was that?" And I'm thinking, surely, you know, I gave some sort of great, you know, remark to the Q and A, or I made some sort of, you know, amazing theological point. Of course, it's none of that," uh, <laughs> he said. "No, I, he goes. Uh, I really appreciated how in your in your talk you you acknowledged where you had failed as a young pastor. I t- I told a story about where I had humiliated myself uh, in front of my wife. The Lord always likes to make sure there's a witness to my failures, and. And it was, in, it was funny, too, because this was a cultural moment where I said that my wife looked at me with this look of, you idiot, which it's in real? a Canadian church, people would have laughed at that, right? Because that, that's, that's funny, but not in a Romanian context. So it's funny, in, in Romania, the translators, there's a saying, I think they get it from Italian, that says, uh, a translator is a traitor and and they they all know this saying and and it's because they will betray you at many moments in in translating you uh so that they're going to they are the one that's bridging the cultural gap so my translator knew that wouldn't fly in Romania so then he translated <laughs> that in a way that would fly in in Romania so god bless you sebastian you know you know what you did and I, uh, and, I, and I appreciate it, <laughs> what you did multiple times, uh, making me more palatable in a, in a Romanian context. But, but isn't that interesting? <laughs> and this, for this young man, he had never had a pastor admit a fault from a pulpit. Mm. And, and in Romanian, I, I would say that we get the same thing. There's this kind of putting pastors up on a pedestal. Where we look up to them, and and again, mm. I say this what I was mentioning earlier, it's that celebrity culture status where they become they become Christianity for us. They become Jesus. yeah, and i and I think that I think this is one of the greatest dangers, by the way of relying too heavily on your testimony. Do you know what I'm saying? You're not Jesus. Mm. And
3: your testimony will fail, period. And that note about testimony, Andy, I think is a really important one, because I think we feel like we have to have a really amazing testimony. And I mean, even growing up working at summer camps, I knew people who (laughs) falsified their testimony, made up their testimony (laughs) in order to sound more, you know, enigmatic, more uh, intense. Yeah to the campers because, and I really struggled with, with that for a long, long time, me personally, because I, I, my personal testimony has a, a miraculous healing, right, from my paralysis as a child. And I really, for a long, long time, years and years and years, would not share my testimony in public because I felt like I was doing an injustice to people who had regular testimonies. And now I think, I think there was probably a misguided application of that as well but i think what what we need to see is that you know the your testimony is you going from death to life mm-hmm. and that's always no matter what the context is an amazing thing and i had a friend who used to he used to say you know uh, when i when i was younger i i was a drug addict i was a murderer i was carjacking uh, and then I, I turned four and I gave my life to Christ and everything <laughs> has been better yeah. since then. <laughs> you get it? You turned four. So it, it's like, you don't have to have this amazing, crazy testimony. Uh, it, it's the work of the, the spirit of God in your life. That is, is what is truly amazing and is going to be, you know, a, a word of encouragement and a testimony to the work of Christ in every situation, no matter what.
0: Let me just speak to that real quick because I think that this is something that a lot of people don't appreciate what you're getting at there, uh, Wes. And this is actually something I talked about in Romania. As I said, there's a lot of people that think that a great testimony, or sorry, a great miracle, and you, you know, I think is good. You know, playing off of your own miracle, you know, the lame to walk sort of idea, which is actually something that you experienced, Wes. And it reminds me of Mark chapter two, where a paralyzed man is brought before Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, you want to see a really cool miracle? <laughs> Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And the people are like, how dare you, you know, talk <laughs> yeah. like that. That's blasphemy. And really what they're saying is that is a cool miracle, but but that would require the work of God to do that. And you're not God. And yeah. Jesus is like, well, let me just show you something. Because <laughs> you, know you don't know whether or not I did that one. I forgave sins. But I'll show you something you can't see, right? And he says to the man, stand up and walk. And people are like, dang. Wait a you know, <laughs> they're amazed because at this point, they're like, well, he just blasphemed, and God just honored that by allowing him to raise this guy up. And my point in bringing this up is a real miracle, especially the older I get, right? And the more I've done ministry, a real miracle is how God can heal a broken heart, mm-hmm. how God can forgive sins, yeah. how God can reconcile us to himself through who? Jesus. And so my point in that is the testimony is Jesus. Jesus is the testimony. Yes. Like he's he's got the he's the amazing one that our lives are pointing to. But if but if all we do is point to ourselves, man, are you setting people up for disappointment?
2: You know, even the word miracle isn't really found yeah, all that much absolutely. in the New Testament. And more often than not, you see the word sign. And of course, what a sign does is it's never about the thing itself, right? So it's it's a sign is something that points to something else. Signs and just like you does. were saying, these are it's signs. Your testimony, in a sense, it, is a sign about Jesus. That's That's who it's about. Even the fact that we're talking about, I mean, earlier... Uh, Wes, you were talking about there are these like regular testimonies, right? And I know this this is not how you think anymore. But even the fact that we many of us think in terms of you know, we we kind of compare and evaluate our testimonies to see which one is greater and which one is lesser. I think that misses the point, right? Because it's it's not about. No,
0: Steve, it does miss the point.
1: It does miss the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 1000 no you're, you're spot on, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I tend to. You just said I think, but we're going to just help you like you don't yeah. got to say I think. <laughs> you I absolutely. I tend to
2: understate everything. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it 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 does miss the point, right? Because it's not about what you've yes, come through, it but it, it's a, it's about what God has done through all the circumstances. And so the moment you're thinking is my testimony like amazing enough, we're making the testimony you're about You're trying ourselves.
0: to make the gospel about you. Yeah. If you do that, you're trying right. to make the gospel about you.
2: I think in that sense, I think we should really look at the Psalms and take our cues from that. Because one thing that's really unique about the book of Psalms is that the book of Psalms is really written from the perspective of the Psalter, right? Whereas... All, all the other books in the Bible, like there, there's, you know, God is the main character and those kinds of things. Here, it's, it's the, the book of Psalms is so human in that sense, right?
1: You're, you're absolutely right. And I would just say just quickly, it's for the person who whose testimony is not from mm-hmm. someone who was a drug addict, who was not uh, abandoned as a child, who was not going through these deep traumas. That testimony is just as important that you, a person who didn't go through a deep challenge or struggle, didn't necessarily feel like they needed to be redeemed, recognized by the the gift of faith that I need to be redeemed regardless. Wow. It it only confirms my faith all the more that the Lord is able to wake up a person who doesn't even really think that they're in the dark. A person who doesn't have, that isn't lacking, you know, because sometimes sometimes, you have these moments, right? Uh, You see it at youth conference. You create a Holy Ghost moment. You create dim the lights. You talk about their pain. You talk about their trauma. And then all of a sudden you got these people that are emotionally invested. And I do believe some are genuine. I believe a lot are genuine, but there are some people that are so emotionally invested in the moment. It's a long weekend. They're tired. They're like, you know what? I do need a savior. Like I, it's like it's been drawn out of them, right? They've been, they've been bled to that moment. But for the person sitting at the back who's like, well, I, I've, I'm well-rested. Um, I'm going home to an amazing family. When their heart, when that person's heart is gripped as well, that's when you— it's, For me, it's like, wow, Holy Spirit, like you are absolutely
3: who you say you are. I think even the Gospels, as the testimony of— of the Apostle speaks to this, right? Even though one—I mean, Mark wasn't an Apostle, but all of the early church tradition ascribes the origination of Mark's information from Peter. And I think it speaks a lot to the fact that, uh, you know, sometimes it's a joke that uh, the Gospel of Mark is the Gospel of the disciples, because they, yeah. they're they so dumb, right? They just don't get it. that Jesus is teaching, and he's like— Here's a parable, and they're like, we don't get the parable, and he explains it to them, and they're like, oh, we still don't get it. And, <laughs> and Peter is, is a dunce, right? He, he's going around, he doesn't get what Jesus is talking about, and then he denies Jesus. Like, Peter's testimony is one of someone who continually fumbles, yeah. even, you know, learning from the uh, foot of Jesus, and I think we can take that as an encouragement, to say, you know, these people, the people closest to Jesus in his earthly life are the people who didn't get it. And it was a miraculous work of God and the Spirit working in their heart that actually, you know, took them to the place where they eventually became, you know, this great missionary force.
0: that That's an important point to appreciate, I think, Wes, because it actually applies very much not only to the church in Romania, but the church wherever you find it. And that is that there's there's always going to be division and you see that division in the frustration all the way back with the disciples and i think about how paul has to rebuke peter and as like you know you know where where paul's like stop it you know like we're you got one you know you got peter who's worried about the jews and you got paul who's worried about the gentiles right and you can imagine the kind of tension that existed in the church from the very beginning and we still have we still have, we still have this tension and this tension gets gets demonstrated in different ways. And I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is do we have the humility to sit down with one another and say, hey, let's let's work this thing out. Uh that means that I'm gonna need to give in certain areas and you're gonna need to give in certain areas and we're gonna have to 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 work together what towards the gospel, towards Jesus. And and so we gotta this I think the the issue that mm-hmm. we get into though, right, is when we want to make it about ourselves we uh We lose sight of uh, of Jesus. we lose sight of the gospel at any rate, I know that it, you know it's a complicated issue, and yeah. these sorts of issues are happening in churches all over uh and it can be difficult when we get asked to to step into those. I do want to bring this conversation into a different direction. Uh, one of the things I noticed in my time in europe and and I've spent a, a fair bit of time uh in different parts of Europe. One of the things that that i that I've noticed is in the past, okay, when I when I came up from the United States and I started pastoring in Canada, as an American coming to Canada, we had this concept, and that is somebody that wants to know where the church is going from the United States perspective, we would say, okay, we'll look to Canada. If you if you want to know where, where things are going, sort of things, so the, the challenges are, you know, more secular, look to Canada. And then Canadians, when I got to Canada, they would say, oh, if you want to know where things are going, you look to Europe. If you want to know the challenges, the secularization, that sort of idea. But it's has interesting for me now, the more time I've spent in Europe, that I think that that's really changed. And I think there's various reasons for that. Maybe immigration being one of the biggest. I'm not sure. That, that could be a whole study in itself. But I don't think it's the case anymore. I think now, as I talk with Europeans, they say to me, hey, if we want to know where things are going, we look at Canada. We look at the United States. And this has actually created a lot of tension, because one of the things I'm noticing more—and I don't know if you guys have have interacted with this—but there is a global political posturing that's going on. This kind of wokeness is being exported to various countries, and it's not appreciated. And there's a lot of frustration with Mm. what's going on uh, here in Canada, what's going on in the United States— that elsewhere, does they don't want it sort of idea. And, and it's interesting the sort of tension that's created, particularly when we look at things like the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine. So when we look at that war, one of the things that I found really interesting in Romania is talking with them and them saying, hey, Andy, I, we get the sense that you guys don't really fully appreciate what's going on here. Putin is quite popular in Russia. And one of the reasons why he's so popular in Russia is because he is pushing back against that political posturing, that that export you know that that exporting of political ideology from the West, and people really appreciate you know his pushback on that, and you're seeing that all over actually. That's creating a lot of global tension.
3: I had a conversation, um, with someone I knew back in seminary who is, he's a pastor in in Toronto, but he's, uh, Central African. And this was a few years ago now, but, um, not that many years ago. And one of the things he said to me was, you know, here in Canada, we talk a lot about colonization. He said, but back in Africa, the, the colonization is a, is a like ideological colonization, that these ideas are being imported and they're being imposed on cultures where they do not make any sense and the, the yeah. gender stuff in particular. And actually the first talk I ever gave, the first apologetically oriented talk I ever gave was a friend who ran a congregation um, of mostly Kenyans. Um, I believe it was Kenyans, uh, Ugandans. It was Ugandans and He said, you know, Wes, uh, my congregation is mostly immigrants. They come to Canada. In our country, it is illegal to be gay. You cannot be gay. We come here and it's completely accepted. He said, I need you to come to talk to my congregation and how to deal with that. The first talk I ever gave Mm -hmm. (laughs) was on that topic, which is, I mean, hard enough as it is. Mm -hmm. But in the context of we're used to a death penalty for this kind of thing. And we come over here and it's like, you must accept and celebrate this. Yeah, and that was a long time ago. Like, the, I'm, I'm. That was back in like, 2014, uh, 2013. Um, we're down the road now, right? That's almost a decade ago, and I, I think that's only accelerated with kind of the the political correct woke stuff yep. that we see being imported.
0: Well, and it's particularly true of the LGBTQ plus issue that people like Putin are really uh, standing their ground against. Uh, which we don't see this in the news is part of my point. But this was something that was brought up in Romania, where they're just saying, "Listen, this is this is a huge issue here that's not being talked about in in the media." But this is part of you know where you got somebody like Putin that's pushing back against this. He's got a lot of following, right? And so now, and I'm not saying that justifies the war. I'm just saying now you and it helps you to start to appreciate that this war is much more complicated than people. Uh, appreciate often in the West because we get such a one-sided view of the news, which has been interesting in and of itself. I don't know if you've seen this, but there's been a lot of talk recently in media about how media has completely lost its trust. There was like a dwindling of trust. And now the most recent surveys that have come out, it's like, it's just a complete lack of trust in, in the media across the board. And and it, it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that with what's with what's all been going on. It it's uh, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to actually talk about this is because that that's where we're at this point. If you want to know what's kind of going on around the world, you gotta to talk to somebody who's been there, who's who's talked with the locals, who's seen what's going on, because it's so difficult watching the news to get an accurate representation of anything.
3: Well, and yeah, and I think the prime example of that most recently was the United Methodist Church in the United States, which which had a big split recently. And it was almost predominantly the white churches in the U.S. in the United Methodist denomination versus the black African churches. It was the black African bishops who were like, no, we're not on board with all of this, you know, same-sex marriage and the ordination of... A same-sex uh, practicing individuals and cohabitating, and and it was interesting to see because the the white churches in the U.S. really were trying to uh, frame it as you know they were the the progressive ones, they were the like you said, anti anti white, anti you know colonial, anti, and ironically, it was the black African bishops and churches who were like, no, we know what the Bible says. You're the ones who are trying to oppose this on us, not the other way around. Like, I just thought that 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 was just an irony that just stood out to me, where it was literally, if you put the group on one side of the room and then on the other side of the room, it would have been the black bishops in Africa versus the white woke bishops in the United States.
2: And You know, (laughs) in the Anglican Church, um, you even have missionaries come from Africa to... Canadian churches here, Anglican churches here, because they see the Anglican Church as so far gone um, in in many aspects. Some, you know, yeah, it, it issues over sexuality and gender, but others like we have an Anglican Church right here in town that denies that Jesus was a historical person. Like they seriously believe that basically what the is church the, in air quotes, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we'll use that they, word they loosely, basically. Church. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they even hold to what is sort of in the uh, world of New Testament studies, the equivalent of a flat earth theory, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that they hold to. But here, here's uh, something, I mean, it's not just issues of sexuality and gender either, right? There is something like the, the sort of the particular sort of brand of environmentalism that we're exporting and then things like abortion and yep. women's bodily autonomy, those kinds of things. I know, for example, um, when the Mexico City policy was signed back in with Donald Trump, cutting funding to overseas organizations that promote or provide abortion services, our very own Justin Trudeau, he stepped in and he said, we're going to give out something like $615 million or more dollars of taxpayer money to fill the gap. Right? And uh, one African pro-life activist, um, she said, this is such a like, in many of our tribal tongues, the idea that the woman should be able to do whatever she wants with her own body, that doesn't even make sense linguistically. We don't even have a way of phrasing that in our tribal tongues. And what women here want is not abortion, but we need help with you know other things like we need blankets we need food we need water why are you giving us this abortion nonsense is that was that was her pushback right and so it, this idea that because when you just hear it you think these places are welcoming these things um when on mm-hmm. the ground it is a lot more complicated and often these things are rejected
0: that's exactly it it's creating tension because what's happening is you get these policies in place where it's like you do this, this, and this, and we'll help in this way, right? So it's it's very coercive. It it becomes this global political posturing. Is again what I'm trying to come back to. Which exa- you're exactly right, Steve. What I'm seeing more and more is it's creating this tension. It's stoking extremists like Putin and others that are pushing back on it. And it's an aspect of what's happening globally that I just find a lot of us myself included have just been ignorant of because it's it's not making the news. it's not it doesn't fit the agenda of what's being what's being told to us about what's happening around the world. and that we need to do a better job of seeing and and, and appreciating as we come to a close here, I do just want to take a moment to say uh thank you to um all of those people who helped you know make that trip in Romania possible. Uh we stayed at many people's homes. Uh different people drove us. I had n- numerous translators that that helped make that that possible. So I do just want to give a big shout out to all of you. Uh Benny and Diana uh on our board that helped uh, make that trip possible and served uh, so faithfully, day after day, to make that trip possible. Thank you. And to all of you, uh, you know, Romanian listeners, we uh, we appreciate uh, appreciate your support, and we're, you know, we're thankful for you. And truthfully, I'm excited about the possibility of continuing to do ministry in Romania and the different partnerships that that develops. So, so stay tuned, exciting things are developing and looking forward to seeing what God does through these opportunities in Europe, particularly Romania.
1: Well, as always, thank you so much for tuning into the AC podcast. That's all we have for you today. Make sure to like and subscribe and interact with us online. I can't say it enough. We love hearing from you. We love seeing your interactions and share it with a friend. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, spread the love. But until next time, tune in next week till we find more things to think about and love God, love people. Bye for now.